Hey everybody, welcome to this week's live room. I'm Alex Frankos of Locked On Bearcats. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Russ Helfman on the way as we are going to talk all things Brian Brown and Tom Manning introduced as defensive and offensive coordinators respectively for the Cincinnati Bearcats. We're also going to talk about the Bearcats basketball bouncing back, Bearcats men's basketball bouncing back against East Carolina last night. I don't know why my glasses are on, but that's okay. Um, I actually look good with them today. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, transfers who have uh, committed to Cincinnati this week, including a pair from Arizona State, um, D. Wiggins from, <clears throat> excuse me, Louisville, I believe. I shouldn't, well, that might not have been good, but I just did. Uh, anyway, um, it's the beauty of a live room. Uh, we're live, so perfect. Um, yeah. So we are going to hit on that. We're going to hit on uh, at the end a little bit with the Bengals and Ravens this Sunday in the wild card uh, playoff game. That is going to be, yeah, beat Wiggins. So he committed from Louisville, formerly of Miami. So um, plenty to get to today uh, here on Lockdown Bearcast, the live room edition. So um, we'll take your comments. We'll take your questions. We'll take your um Everything in the chat as we wait for Russ Elfman to join me. Um, it's been an eventful week, obviously, with Tom Manning and Brian Brown being introduced as defensive and offensive coordinators. And I really think what we're starting to see is, and Justin Williams profiled this in the athletic, Russ Elfman, uh, Russ profiled this in all Bearcats. Really, the um, he really profiled the um, the the recruiting and how Scott Satterfield is really putting this, their egos are being put aside and it's a team effort what they're doing. You know, they're really starting to um, hone in on the Ohio and the, the radius around Cincinnati. And they're going out tomorrow to, if you're listening to this live tomorrow, if you're listening to this on podcast form uh, today, Friday, to go out and recruit. And I think they're off to a great start. So they are really... Um, they are really, really excited about this. And I, um, I, I'm really hopeful and I, and I'm seeing more comments, not just on our YouTube videos, but in the athletic, and I'm starting to see more people optimistic about Scott Satterfield. And I really think that this is going to be, um, this is going to be a great hire for the Cincinnati Bearcats. I think that, yes, year one, there might be some growing pains, but I think as we start to see this program recruit and get players that fit his system, I think that's only going to help. And I am really excited for what, you know, spring ball is going to look like. I'm excited, you know, for fall camp and who else is going to enter the transfer portal, or or, I'm sorry, uh, commit via the transfer portal and really just, you know, get Back to, um, you know, where this program has been for the last five years. And speaking of that, I touched on this earlier this week. I, I, I talked about how the Bearcats against um, uh, Georgia in 2020 and after the national championship on Monday night. And if it, it should make you appreciate where the Bearcats have been over the last five years and this incredible ride that the program was on. And the fact that the Bearcats played Georgia to a really a one-point game, and that was a very good Georgia team, and that was in Atlanta, whereas TCU, who's going to be a future Big 12 opponent for the Bearcats, 
um, they lost 65 to seven. I mean, the game was over before it even started. So there is definitely um, a lot to be proud of what this program has accomplished over the last five years. And I do think, and I'm starting to see more comments that are negative towards Luke Fickle. And I, I think that, um, I, I, I think that it's really starting to irritate me because for a long time, um, I have, um, for a long time, I have held Luke Fickle in high regard. And I will, and I always will. But I'm seeing comments that you don't like how he left. And I understand that. But if you're going to change your opinion overall about Luke Fickle, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you would change your opinion because of the way he left. And I saw someone said that it was worse than the way Brian Kelly left. I I look, do we know everything? I don't think so. But you can't say the way Luke Fickle left was worse than Brian Kelly. And with that, we bring on the man, the myth, the legend, the driving force behind all Bearcats and WMKV 89.3 Russ. Russ, it's been a eventful week for both of us. Um uh, defense and offensive coordinators introduced. That was on Tuesday. Uh, transfers have rolled in. Um, basketball last night, a 9 o'clock tip. I know you don't like the 9 o'clock tip. Neither do I. But um, a good win last night for the Bearcats. And uh, we've got fans rolling into the live room. We've got the chat going. So uh, let's say you get this started. Still into it, Alex. A lot to get to. Not a lot of time to do it. Here we go. Here on Locked On Bearcats. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on into the Locked On Bearcats Weekly Live Room. I'm Alex Frank of Locked On Bearcats. Russ Helbin, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated. Joining me today, today's episode of Locked On Bearcats is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than where the game starts. I'm Alex Frank. He's Russ Helbin. We got the chat going. We'll get to your questions, comments, and concerns. Russ, um, Let's start with the big news of the week. Brian Brown and Tom Manning introduced as defensive and offensive coordinators, respectively. Uh, what was your biggest takeaways from those uh, from the press conference? Um, I think a lot more takeaways defensively than offensively. I, to me, Tim Satterfield and Manning are going to kind of huddle together over these next few weeks. The rest of that offensive staff, they're going to try to put together the correct system, tweak to Satterfield's system that kind of outside zone running scheme paired with the dual threat running quarterback. You and I have talked about that ad nauseum over the past two months. Tweak that to this current roster and its strengths as we continue to kind of finalize things. I would expect maybe three or maybe 
multiple transfers remaining, a couple more trailing here and there. But largely, I think we're starting to see the the dust settle offensively and defensively, both roster-wise and staff-wise for this Bearcats program. And so in terms of the offense, I'm not quite sure what we're going to get from Tom Manning, what kind of influence he's going to bring to Satterfield's system. Scott did say he's going to continue to call plays, but that that would be a continuation from his kind of groupthink mentality on play calling uh, while he was at Louisville and at Appalachian State, where he does a lot of collaboration with his offensive line coach, Nick Carwell, with Manning, with the receivers coaches. Everybody in that offensive staff kind of comes together as one to build those game plans, those play strategies. But defensively, that's where I'm really intrigued. And I'm really excited to see what Ryan Brown's habit creating kind of three, four, more so four, two, five tweaked type of defensive hybrid look we can get on a team and a roster defensively out of this Black Cats crew that should be able to transition very nicely from that three, three, five look to this three, four, more four, two, five downhill attacking defense that Brian Brown is bringing to the table. And he kind of highlighted pretty in, in depth during his press conference this earlier in the week. All right, so it sounds like the Bearcats are going to go to a more traditional defense, which is something that I I was pushing for a lot towards the end of the Luke Fickle era. So it's great to to hear that that's what Brian Brown is striving towards. Um, Let me ask you this, because I found it interesting when Scott Satterfield said that he's going to continue to call plays. So that's something that you expected. Um, is that a is that really a um, uh, a huge development, Russ? How do you uh, how do you explain this? I think I expected that. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of you're hiring Scott Satterfield first and foremost for the the staff that he can build, the talent he can bring in, and then his system, his offensive acumen. That's the way he's built up his entire career. That's how he's launched his head coaching career from into Appalachian State, out of Appalachian State to Louisville, and then from Louisville here to Cincinnati on what people are saying is a lateral move, but I would say Cincinnati is a slight step up. Maybe it is lateral move. I don't know. You can kind of have those arguments elsewhere, but overall Scott Satterfield has leaned on his acumen as a play caller throughout the past decade to be able to get to where he is today. And it's not surprising to me that he's going to keep leaning on that to get to even greater heights in the future. You've, you've touched on this this week. Justin Williams touched on this this week. I've read both of what you guys wrote talking about how the Bearcats are really in Satterfield staff, really putting egos aside. And it's a team effort here. When we talk about recruiting the state of Ohio, Russ, and it's been this program's identity over the last 20 years. And obviously, if you're listening to this live, you know that the Bearcats are going to recruit tomorrow in the state of in the state of Cincinnati, as Luke Fickle used to say, in that 50-mile radius. Um, the uh, If you're listening to this in podcast form, obviously that's today, Friday. So, Russ, kind of touch on um, Satterfield's recruiting philosophy, what you've been seeing over the last – you know what, this is his fifth or sixth week on the job. Um, just kind of touch on, you know, how he and the staff are doing as far as recruiting both um, in the uh, in Cincinnati, the transfer portal. We've got some transfers rolling in, excuse me, this week. T- kind of touch on that a little bit for us. Yeah, it seems like Scott Satterfield is just diving head over heels right into the city of Cincinnati, right into the 300-mile radius that they're going to be pursuing here. Made a direct quote, direct Acknowledgement of that in his press conference said, quote, a huge emphasis on the city of Cincinnati within 300 miles for recruiting. We are going back on the road Friday and blitzing the city, sending everybody out within 50 miles right here and hitting as many schools as we can hit. It starts in our backyard. That's a great sentiment. That's something that is going to be the lifeblood of this program, in my opinion, is not only 
getting that national footprint, getting those four, maybe a five-star eventually, knock on wood, Bearcats fans are hoping, getting those four, maybe five stars nationally into the fold here and there, but making sure that you do not let the momentum from the past five years in this city that this program has created under Luke Fickle slip away with this new staff. And it just shows to me the fact that he is adamantly laying out the plan for local recruiting while also I'm writing up all these offers and writing up all these recruiting roundups, pursuing high four-star, high three-star talent all around the country and specifically in a nice little pocket in the Southeast. It just should make you really confident that the talent coffers for this program are going to be at the level you need them to be in the Big 12 to compete with some of the best teams in the country. TCU just got whooped in a national title, but a Big 12 team just played in the national championship game for a reason. It's one of the best conferences in the nation. TCU had to get by through the skin of their teeth in multiple games in that conference, and you're going to need as much talent as possible to do that. The diversity and the hybrid recruiting scheme here, I think, could help them uh, afford themselves a lot of opportunities with that talent over the next few recruiting cycles. And we're seeing that the Big 12 is a very competitive conference. And uh, Josh Neighbors starts on this. How does the Big 12 close that gap between themselves and the Big 10 and the SEC? Sure, they be, sure TCU beat Michigan, but that national championship game Monday night, Russ, is the first time we've talked since that game. Now, here's something that – okay, so I, I, I see the comments on our YouTube videos. Um, I see the comments on social media. I see them on Twitter. I see them in the athletic. Um, don't mean to bring up a competitor, Russ, but like – um, it does feel like more fans are showing up or there's more optimism being shown for Scott Satterfield. And what are we? So today is January. If you listen to this live, January 12th. Um, so we are, if my university of Cincinnati math can bail me out here, 20, um, what is it? Uh, 39 days. There we go. 39 days into the Satterfield era. Give me your... Um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being really optimistic, one, the alternative, um, where are you at with the optimism level of Scott Satterfield and what he's done so far and what's going to happen throughout the remainder of the winter and into spring ball? I'd say about like a six and a half, seven, probably leaning okay. more towards a seven range. I think you can be pretty optimistic about the things that have gone down so far. You can be pretty optimistic about the number one thing, and I will keep driving this home. The number one thing that Scott Satterfield has to get right, and we won't know if he gets it right until three years of example for us to chew, chew with, is this staff. And it seemed to me, with the mix of Kerry Combs and Walt Stewart, keeping some former staffers on this on the team and keeping their influence recruiting-wise here as well. You bring in Josh Stepp, Tom Manning. You step with him at Louisville, Tom Manning, an outside force. Well, coach with Satterfield as a GA in, in Toledo back in the 2000s. Went his way with uh, with who was it, Matt Campbell at Iowa State in Toledo yeah. after that. And the two have now rekindled their relationship as the OC and head coach for Cincinnati. Tom Manning, with many years of experience in the Big 12, had a down year offensively. You and I talked about that last week with Iowa State, but built up the profile of Brock Purdy, built up the profile of Brees Hall. So there's so many different, I think, good chemistry type of mixes going on with the staff that I think that's the number one reason that you can be optimistic. And number two is the NIL and the recruiting and the transfer portal messages from Scott Satterfield are exactly what you want them to be. We don't love what we're having to deal with, 
but we're going to deal with it all the same because we know that's how you create championship level football programs in today's day and age of college football. You have to tap into that transfer portal, which they are doing, and they are trying to get that NIL Cincy Reigns program ramped up as quickly as possible so that these reported, according to The Athletic, six-figure offers to multiple defensive Black Cats members that have been offered over the past few weeks don't pull away that talent from this program with uh, right around, what, six days remaining in the transfer portal window before players uh, cannot declare that they are going to transfer until I believe the spring window opens first week of May, I'm pretty sure. Well, and I definitely really like the way the Bearcats are kind of embracing the modern tech, modern tactics of college football. Russ, you talk about the transfer portal, you talk about NIL, and I really do believe that um, this is all going to uh, benefit the Bearcats football program in year one. I said this before you joined me. Um, I, I don't know what year one is going to look like of the Satterfield era and in the Big 12, but I do know this. I think come year two, year three, this program is going to be hitting its stride, and they're still obviously – a lot of questions left to be answered. You know, what happens at quarterback? Does Evan Prater stay? Um, what happens at linebacker? You know, does De- do Deshaun Pace and Jaheim Thomas stick around? I don't. I think one area we don't have to worry about is defensive line, Russ. I mean, that defensive line room looks pretty much the same as it did last year. Malik Van coming back, Russ. I mean, how surprised were you at that? I was not that surprised, honestly. I was thinking if he was going to be eligible for that medical red shirt, just the just the, the painful nature, obviously physically, but also emotionally. Just you come back for this final one last run. You're trying to push all your chips in this basket in terms of getting some NFL looks down the line. If you're Malik Van, you want to get that shot one more time, especially if you don't have to pay a price to get that opportunity and come back to the UC Bearcats roster. He should be a, a plug and play starter right away. Yeah, and I think would would be a nice he's going to be an, another nice piece for this defensive line to go with Dante Corleone, Jawan Briggs talked to us earlier in the week. Yeah. It seems like he and the rest of the defensive line are very excited to get into this kind of hybrid uh three down lineman with an extra linebacker hanging off the edge look from Brian Bat Brown's defense. The defensive linemen are getting in a lot of voluntary workouts right now. They're doing they're maximizing all the voluntary time that they can do right now in these kind of restricted offseason windows to be able to make sure that the first season of Scott Satterfield is not as similar record-wise as the first season of Luke Fickle. Yeah, hopefully. And and I do think that it will be much better than 4-8 and eight, um, because of the talent that is here. And because, again, Satterfield's entering a much better situation than Luke Fickle inherited when he took over back in 2017. So let me ask you this. A lot of transfers have committed this week. Uh, touch on those if you can for us and who the most impactful transfer could be. Well, the most impactful transfer of the week in my opinion is, is definitely Daniel Greziak. Like the guy is a top yeah. 20 transfer in this entire portal. He is a fantastic, fantastic player. A guy that I think slot right in and be that kind of Amir Abdullah type of replacement in this Brian Brown scheme. Abdullah was an all-American level player for Louisville last year. was fantastic. Kreziak, I think, can bring that same kind of impact as a top 25 sack artist in 2022 for the Utah State Aggies. was the best pass rusher. That kind of goes without saying. 13 tackles for loss. Out of a couple pass breakups. Two forced fumbles. Recoverable as well. He, to me, can have that similar type of impact impact that Ivan Pace Jr. had as a habit creator on this defensive line. To me, he's a plug-and-play starter, and Daniel 
Grzyziak told Justin Williams of The Athletic that Brian Brown's defense and the fact that they forced a top five mark with 50 sacks this year, that immediately stood out to him and had him thinking, yeah. man, I can get some serious production on this team in my final year of eligibility and get myself a nice up year for NFL looks in 2024. Yeah, Louisville's uh, statistics defensively were very high. Uh, top 25 categories, top 25 in a lot of categories. So I touched on earlier this week, last year. So definitely a big transfer pickup there. Um, D Wiggins transferring from Louisville. That can help the wide receiver. Room. Yeah, he, if he stays healthy, Alex. Lot- that's a huge, huge, huge option there. He was going starter yeah. last year, but unfortunately had a season ending injury, I believe in week three. That kind of knocked out his yeah. entire season. So that's a good addition. So Sterling a- Burkholter as well. North Carolina A&T receiver. Yep. A nice long player can really stretch the field offensively. And so you get those two receivers. It makes you feel a little bit better, definitely, about that receiving room going into 2023. Absolutely. It need, needs some replenishing. That is for sure. Um We'll get to some basketball conversation. Russ, a good bounce back win for the Bearcats last night against East Carolina. Something that uh, we're starting to see that might be best for this Bearcats team over the last three games. I really like what I'm seeing after this particular move was made. We'll get to that. We'll look ahead to Saturday's game at SMU. And then we'll finish things off with some Bengals-Ravens conversation because, Russ, you do also write for all Bengals and because it is playoff time in Cincinnati. We'll get to all of that after I tell you all how this episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by BetOnline. Betonline BetOnline.net is right now your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can head there right now for the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from the NFL playoffs to basketball, the NBA, college basketball in full swing. We've got it all at betonline.net. Maybe you want to head there to look at the line for the Bengals and Ravens on Sunday night. The Bengals currently a nine-point favorite. Nine-point favorite. Number nine is a good number. Um, If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, thanks again for making Locked On Bearcats your first listen every day. Make sure you check out Locked On, our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, everything you need to know about college basketball all in one place. Plus, hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of which, basketball, Russ, the Bearcats last night, 83-55 to winners over East Carolina. Um, Jeremiah Davenport, another solid performance. Really, since he um, accepted the sixth man role, he has been having, um, if you take away the Houston game Sunday, of course, he's had two really good games in that role, Russ. Um, is this what's best for him and the team? A thousand percent. I mean, Odio Guama should be the starter in there. He gives you a lot more defensive acumen at the beginning of games, gives you a little bit more acumen at the beginning of games, and it allows Jeremiah Davenport to kind of just come in, not press right away, just be that instant offense coming off the bench. And he's been really, really great in, in that role of the last few games, save for the Houston out, which Wes Miller, I'm with him in this respect. Jeremiah Davenport took maybe two bad shots in that Houston game, but the rest of those 0 for 7 three-point barrage mark was pretty solid in terms of shot quality. It's just they didn't go in. Last night, the shots were good as well, and they went in as the Bearcats uh, hit – what did they hit? 14 threes last night, 10 in the first yeah. half. It was an absolute yeah. 
barrage from outside. You had a stretch where after each timeout, you'd have Landers Nolly start things off in the game, back-to-back triples. Then Jeremiah Davenport, back-to-back triples. Then Josh Reed, back-to-back triples. It was just an onslaught offensively from a Bearcats team that's one of the best in the AAC, if not the best offensive team. And a Jeremiah Davenport, who, to me, I just it's so hard to get a gauge on this team and what their actual ceiling is because they either get beat by double digits against a good team or the one close game that they have had against a good team, 80-77 loss to Xavier, or they go and destroy a bad team by 30. And it's like, to me, I keep saying it, it speaks to the coaching prowess of Wes Miller. It speaks to his system. And then the top end of those results, the playing the great teams, that to me speaks to that system and that coach and his X's and O's taking them to a ceiling where the talent just can't get over. And that to me is where this Bearcats program is right now. They are just on the precipice of being a team good enough to compete and play in the NCAA tournament, but they just don't quite have that top end talent to get them there. And we'll see if they can figure it out. You get a huge opportunity of these final few weeks of January, the final two games of January at home, I believe against Memphis. And then you go to Houston. That's the season right there. That's the entire season. If you can't find a way to go two on that stretch, then you're going to be heading to the NIT or a different tournament besides the NCAA tournament, just for the fact of the matter that the strength of schedule is not good enough. They're not going to have any quad one victories at the end of the season if they don't beat Houston in this upcoming game at the end of the month. And it's like, what do you know? Another game this coming weekend, SMU, 4 p.m., 6-11 and 11 Mustangs team, trying to go through a coaching change right now. It's similar to ECU. They should win by double digits, and it's not going to really help them make a strong case to go into the NCAA tournament, unfortunately, because SMU, just one of those three bad teams in the AAC outside of the top 100. So I loved what I saw from Jeremiah Davenport since he's gone to the bench outside of, obviously, the 0-7 for shooting mark in a game that you can't go 0-7. for That's the bottom line, but it's that in these high-level opponent matchups, when the talent has to match the great talent it just hasn't quite been there for you you see this season well consider that a tease for next week when we hit the live room uh should be back to wednesday at 12 30 um the bearcats with two crucial games uh as russ you alluded to memphis i mean those games are always barn burners and then houston the big one down in texas um so the bearcats do play smu on saturday if you listen to this on podcast form that's tomorrow um they play at USF next Wednesday. Two teams towards the towards the bottom of the conference. They got to bank these wins, Russ. And then, I mean, what like how crucial of a stretch is this for the Bearcats right now? Because I feel like once January ends, the schedule really kind of lightens up a little bit. Yeah, you got one more trip to Memphis, but I'm saying that if you can bank these two wins coming up, and then what are we looking at? A split with Memphis and Houston, or? What do they have to do? I mean, look at that now. The net rankings, it's really, really difficult to see Bearcats unless they go undefeated through the UCF game, seeing them getting into an at-large bid position. It's just they're so far behind (laughs) UCF right now for that third spot. UCF on the net, they are 37th overall, and Memphis is a slick 57th, so you're 50 spots behind them almost if you're Cincinnati at 87th overall, a cool 35 spots behind Memphis. So to me, you got to win. You got to go on a run. 
you have to win all the games the rest of this month. You have one quad one, one opportunity left. One quad one win opportunity. And they are so far this season 0-4 in those chances. Like you gotta notch a quad one win. If they don't notch a quad one win this season, I don't like they could probably lose only to Houston and Memphis the rest of the year. And they still won't get in the tournament because the the strength of schedule is so bad. Obviously, if they make it to the NC to the NC final and Houston isn't playing and they beat, win that, they get in as the conference champion. But just so many missed opportunities in terms of high level teams that they haven't beaten this year, and this is the the uh, the position that they're left in. I I would love to cover an NCAA tournament team. I would love to say they're in a better spot, but they they, they simply are not. The opportunities to beat good teams have been there. They have not taken them, and now you need to go to SMU and win. You need to go to South Florida and win. Yeah. You need to come home against yep. Memphis, win that game. You need to go to Houston. I'll cut them some slack. If they cover there and they lose by five points, one possession game, maybe that helps you a little bit more, enough in the net that that can be counted as a solid performance, boosting your NCAA tournament. Got to beat Tulsa at home, and then you have to beat UCF at home. If you lose to UCF, game, set, match the season is over in terms of at-large opportunities. Yeah, I mean, one thing to say to the teams you've lost to are really good, like Xavier and Houston, but you got to eventually win a game against the the big dogs in college basketball. We'll, we'll hear from two of our sponsors, and then if you're listening to this on audio, you'll hear from two of our sponsors, and um, we'll get into Bengals and Ravens uh, on Sunday right here on Lockdown Bearcats. Russ, you also write for all Bengals. You uh, do the Bengals bets. For all Bengals, our good buddy James Rapine. By the way, congratulations to him and his wife, Emily. They just welcomed a baby girl into the world, Quinn. Very happy for them. Um, Russ, so the Bengals and Ravens round three on Sunday. I, 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 I'm really confident that this is going to be a Bengals win. I'm really confident saying the Bengals win convincingly. Do you agree with me? I'm with you all the way, 1,000%. I, I hammered the Bengals minus five and a half earlier in the week. I told all my buddies, get this while you can, because this will not be minus five and a half for long. Bing, bang, boom. Three days later, it's minus 10. And that just goes to show the Ravens were always playing facetious with Lamar, Lamar Jackson's injury status. He is not going to suit up this week. I would be shocked if he's out there playing for the Ravens. And when you don't have Lamar Jackson, you have a bottom eight offense in the NFL and a bottom eight offense going up against a top seven offense I don't think the Ravens' defense is close to as good enough to pull off a week one Steelers-like performance with five forced turnovers, no turnovers for themselves, a pick six, a blocked kick. That's the only reason the Bengals are even playing the Ravens right now. It's because all of those things happened on top of Clark Harris's torn bicep in that game to give the result to Pittsburgh miraculously. And so if the Bengals had won that one, they would be playing the Miami Dolphins, the two seed, and they would be likely hosting the Bills next week instead of going to Buffalo in all likelihood. But ifs and buts, candies and nuts, every day would be Christmas. It's not. And this is the situation the Bengals are in. They have a lot to play for on Sunday, a lot of motivation in terms of some chippy play in the previous game. And what more could you ask for starting off your AFC playoff run against one of your most hated rivals and a rival that is completely obliterated at the quarterback position injury was yeah they they really are okay so let me ask you this because like i you know you've grown up a bengals fan i've grown up a bengals fan um are the ravens becoming a hated rival because for so long like we know the steelers have been the browns i mean their fans are delusional whatever 
But the Ravens, like, I've always had a tremendous respect for because I love the way their organization historically has done things. But, like, now that after last week with the dirty hits and the chippiness, are you saying the Ravens are now a hated rival? Like, I didn't think we were going to get to this point. Oh, yeah. They're definitely a hated rival. Even I think they're more... This year, they're more in the crosshairs than the Steelers are even this year because the, the Ravens are the competition. They're the main threat for the AFC title. Everybody in the offseason, oh, the Ravens are going to win the AFC title. Bet the Ravens. Oh, the, the Bengals. AFC uh, title. Yeah, they, Did they really? I heard it, I heard it all offseason. AFC North yeah, title. I'm going to say, meant to say AFC North title. Okay. That's more realistic. But, like the Bengals have the 15th best odds to make the Super Bowl. It's just. Yeah, no. people get really upset about that. Fans get really yeah. annoyed with all that, especially when the results that end up happening continue to laugh in the face of the projections. Uh, I mean, and we've seen that. I mean, the Bengals beat the Ravens last week, and um, I think I think they will on Sunday. I'm confident in saying that. It's a nice day here in Georgia. Um, it's supposed to be good weather up in Cincinnati for the um, playoff game on Sunday. Russ, I'm sure you're looking forward to watching it. I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, Definitely. Um, the, so the AFC, excuse me, sorry, that came up on me. Um, the AFC, like I look at the playoff picture and yes, if the Bengals win, they're probably going to Buffalo. Not probably they are because Skylar Thompson's not going up to Buffalo and winning. I, I think if, I mean, geez. So what are the chances beyond this weekend for the Bengals? Like, are like how I pick them every week. There's no team in the AFC. I would pick over the Bengals. Those are the chances. Interesting. Interesting. Even so you would pick them to beat the Bills in, no in Buffalo. Interesting. All right. Coming on Twitter at Russ Hellman 11. He's on all Bearcats. I'm on all Bearcats. Plenty of coverage as the Bearcats prepare to go to SMU on Saturday. We'll, of course, have much more on the transfer portal next week on Lockdown Bearcats. Um, coaching staff's been rounded out, and uh, it feels like football season already, Russ. So That it does, um, and if those Bearcats can get it done next week, start this win streak up again. Maybe they can get two yeah. seconds, but we got to get to that point first. We we do, but we will get there. Uh, not a lot of only one comment. Seth Fangman um, saying, go Bearcats. Yes, go Bearcats. Um, <laughs> by the way, if I didn't acknowledge this, um, major, major uh, happiness for DeMar Hamlin Russ. He is home from the hospital. Home from the hospital. How about that? Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing way to end this show. Amazing way to kind of yeah. get to the middle of our week yesterday. And got to love it. Got to love it for the Hamlin family. And it's a fantastic kind of hopefully tying a bow on a story that started awful and has slowly yes. and surely turned into a great one. Absolutely. Absolutely. May, very, very happy for him and continuing to wish him all the best in his recovery. Russ, thank you for joining me. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week, man. Always good talking to you and always good to do this. Oh, I think we got – um. Seth, Seth said great stuff, said great guys. St- just subbed. Thank you, Seth. Hey. I appreciate you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Russ, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Of course, always, Alex. A lot of fun. We'll do it again next week. See you. Absolutely. Russ Eltman is my colleague at All Bearcast and Sports Illustrated, kind enough to join me today here on Locked on Bearcats. As for me, I'm on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and N-N-A-T-I. On Instagram, AlexFranknet underscore and email at Alex3Frank at gmail.com. And thanks for making Locked on Bearcats your first listen today. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball, 
experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape, Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday right here on Locked On Bearcats. I'm Alex Frank for Locked On Bearcats, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Have a great weekend, and I'll be back with you on Monday.